Welcome to Sundays at Grace, the podcast ministry of Robinson Grace Church in Grand Haven, Michigan. I am Pastor Bill. I am so glad you've joined us for this edition of the podcast. I have a message this week entitled, You Can Trust Your Heart. We're in week six of a sermon series, a spiritual EKG, and we're looking at this reality that when we are saved, when we become new creations in Christ, we're given new creation hearts that actually beat with God's desires. In other words, we want for us what God wants for us. How cool is that? Now that sermon entitled, You Can Trust Your Heart, I'm sure that's kind of intriguing because we're always told just the opposite. We're told, hey, you can't trust your heart. Your heart will get you in all kinds of trouble. We're gonna see today that we can indeed trust our heart. There are two things God wants us to do and he wants us to use our heart to do these things and we're gonna see today can certainly trust our heart. Now, uh, let me just say, if you would like to download handouts to go with this sermon, or if you'd like to support the ministry of Robinson Grace Church, you can do all that online at myrgc.com, and um, uh, we thank you in advance if you stop by there. Hey, uh, you know, I heard a great quote this week. Uh, it simply said this, our theology needs to shape our psychology. What a great quote. In fact, I borrowed that quote and I used that as the big idea behind this message. Because it's true, our theology, our understanding of God needs to shape our psychology, our understanding of us. And uh, there's reality that we have this brand new creation heart that uh, is beating for the glory of God. So glad you joined us. Let's get right to the message. And I hope you're encouraged as you discover that yes, indeed, you can trust your have you ever tried to stand on one foot you know it's not as easy as one would think and you know the longer you stand on one foot you know that there there's this balance issue that gets drawn into the equation we get a little shaky on one foot now, I'm going to circle back around to that thought in a moment, but let me start here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. And Paul writes this, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. While we're down here, we know God is up there. And uh, we're walking traversing through this world. We're walking by faith. Now, the reality is this idea of, of associating the Christian life with walking is one of the strongest metaphors, really, that exists in the Scriptures. We see this continually. Let's just go to one string of verses in one book of the Bible. This is the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, but let's start in chapter 2 and just walk briefly through Ephesians. It says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering 
and sacrifice to God. Chapter 5, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And down in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so this Christian life here, it's, it's really shown through this metaphor of walking. And, and, and recently I heard someone take this metaphor and, and really uh, paint a compelling picture uh, of this issue. When you think about walking, what we're really doing when we're walking is we're over and over and over again, we're, we're just falling. We're in, the, we're in the constant state of almost falling. When we walk, it's like we're continually taking a risk because for a millisecond, a brief millisecond, we're standing on one foot. And as I said, you stand on one foot for a very long time and you start to feel the balance equation come in like I might fall over. And so when we're walking, we pick one foot up off the ground and for that brief millisecond, we're in that state of almost falling until we put the next foot down and, and, and it goes so fast and it's so repetitive and, and so we don't notice what's really taking place. It's a fascinating metaphor to our walk with Christ that we're continually as he's up there and we're down here and as we're walking through life that we're, every step is a step of faith and, and we're always a little off balance and we're always a little bit needing to just really rest in his care and in his strong hands. We see this, really, this issue come into play even more so when you think about a little baby, right? A little baby has to learn to walk. And so for a little baby, as they, as they start to get beyond one and up to two and they, they start to walk, you know, for them, this is really exaggerated. This is really recognizable because for them, that millisecond, when, when they're on one foot going to that second foot, that millisecond is exaggerated. And that's when they're maybe quite possibly, uh, they might fall into that, you know, the, the, the coffee table or they might hit their head on the wall or fall down the stairs and all the things that kind of concern us as they're learning to walk. Because walking is sometimes falling over and over and over again until we catch ourselves on the next step and on the next step. And that's our Christian life. We go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 again. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And so we know while that he's uh, up, up there and we're down here, we know that he's also in here. He's right in here walking with us. This verse here, though, also has a second spiritual metaphor for us, and that is the spiritual metaphor of sight. It talks about walking by faith and not by sight. And he's not talking about physical sight, what we see with our eyes, but, but what we see spiritually. And we're going to talk about that today. We're in week six of this series, a spiritual EKG. We're looking at this issue that when we became uh, new creations in Christ, when we were born again, when we were saved, that God gave us a heart transplant, that he did heart surgery on us and gave us a brand new heart that actually beats with his desires. We're seeing we have this new creation heart. And what I want us to see today is that God has equipped us with a heart that can indeed walk by faith. That's the reality. 
He has equipped us with a heart that can see in the dark, that can walk by faith, and that we can actually trust. Now, I know that might sound contrary to what we have always been told. We're always told, well, don't trust your heart. Don't trust your heart. It'll get you into trouble. Now, I'll agree. While we don't want to live by our emotions, today we're going to see that we have a new creation heart and that we can trust our heart. We certainly, indeed, can. Here's our big idea today, and I'm borrowing today's big idea. It's a quote from a pastor in Louisiana named Tim Chalice. I love this quote. Heard this quote this week. And I already was going to use this quote in the, in the message, and then I just realized this is really the heart of this message. So God gave me a great quote here today as a big idea. It simply is this. Our theology needs to shape our psychology. Our theology needs to shape our psychology. In other words, how we see God uh, needs to affect how we see ourselves. And, and how we understand God affects how we understand ourselves. And this is because we have God's nature and we have God's heart. When I understand that I actually have God's heart and I live like I have God's heart, it will make all the difference. Now, it's interesting because there are certainly people out there who are going are to say to you, well, well, I don't really care for theology. Don't give me all that theology, Jazz. Just give me the practical stuff. Give me the daily stuff. But I don't want all that theology. Let me tell you what happens when you get rid of the theology. It's what I talk about all the time. It's when we take the Bible and we reduce it to mere moralism. Moralism is simply right versus wrong. And the whole Bible is about right versus wrong. Well, it seems to me that in the Garden of Eden, there were two trees, and the tree that messed everything up, the, the tree that got us all in trouble was the tree of what? The tree of right and wrong. But see, there was another tree in the Garden of Eden. It was the tree of life. That's the tree that was supposed to uh, shape the way we lived our life and, 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 and to give us incredible hope. And again, think about religion. What is religion? Religion is all about right versus wrong. How do, we get how do we get close to God? By doing what is right. How do we improve our marriages? By doing what is right. How do we find more joy and purpose in this world? By doing what is right. That, my friends, is religion. But the other tree, the tree of life, yeah, that was the tree of a relationship. And as I said last week, we don't need more behavior modification. We need Christ. Want to improve your marriage? Want to improve your position at work and your relationship with your boss? Just uh, don't, don't just try to act a little better. Don't modify be your behavior. Throw a little more of Jesus into the situation. Throw a little more Jesus into your relationship. Let a little more Christ shine out of your life. So today, then, we're going to look at three passages, three key passages. Moses will speak to us from the Old Testament, and Peter and Paul will speak to us from the New Testament, and we will discover that, yes, we can indeed trust our heart. We're going to see today there are two things that God wants us to do with our heart. And when we understand, that these, the, 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 we understand these two things that God wants us to do with our heart, we'll see, hey, I've got a heart I can trust if I'm supposed to do these things with my heart, that must mean I can trust my heart. So let's start here. Two reasons we can trust 
our heart. And we're starting in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. It's a prayer that Paul offers. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith, he writes to the Ephesians, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I'll stop right there. We talked about this earlier this year. And that reason, that, that for this reason, what Paul's talking about is because of their potential in Christ. When he looked at their vertical relationship with God and their horizontal relationships with each other, and, and he looked at them, he says, because I see these relationships that you have, because I know that Christ is in you, uh, and I know that you're a body, for this reason, I'm praying for your potential in Christ, that you would realize your potential, that you would understand. Let, let's go on here, though. Um, that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe. Here's our first point today. Here's the first thing we need to understand is that God wants us to see with our heart. God wants us to see with our heart, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now, just stop and think about that a moment. God wants the eyes of my heart to be enlightened so I can see certain things, so that I know and understand certain things. There are some spiritual realities that God wants me to see so that I can realize my potential in Christ. He wants me to see them with my heart. If that is the case, how can I have a heart that is then wicked, deceitful, and untrustworthy. How can I have that Jeremiah 17, 9 heart? I simply can't. God has given me a new heart that is able to see these spiritual realities as I take this walk of faith through the world. So here's the thing, though, is that God wants us to know Him better and to see Him more clearly. That's the idea. God wants me to use my heart to know Him better and to see Him more clearly. Just think about that. Anybody wear glasses, right? And what happens when your glasses get dirty, right? If they get really, really dirty, you know, it's like we wash them. Because if I'm supposed to see clearly, I need to have clean glasses. And if I'm going to see clearly from my heart who God is and who I am in relationship to God, and if my theology is going to shape my psychology, then I'm going to have to have a clean heart. That's the simple reality. I'm going to have to have a clean heart. Now let me develop a contrast here by going back to Genesis chapter 3 because as I said, our situation today with this new creation heart is similar to Adam and Eve's situation before the fall in the Garden of Eden. So in Genesis chapter 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the trees that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin 
clause. Now, Adam and Eve, they, they eat the forbidden fruit, right? We talked about this a few weeks back. Why did they eat the forbidden fruit? Did they have this innate desire within their heart to go to that tree and eat that fruit? No. Eve actually says, we're not allowed to touch that tree. That tree is off limits for us. If we do, we'll die. And so why did they end up eating that fruit? Because an outside voice came and spoke to them and enticed them and drew them into that tree. And that's you or not, that's our reality today. We have clean hearts. We have hearts that desire what God wants. We don't desire to sin. We have obedient hearts. But we have all these outside voices, whether it's our bad habits of the past, whether it's the, you know, the voices of, of this world or our flesh or the enemy that call us and say, hey, really, you ought to look at this. You're really missing out here and convinces us that we want something that we don't really want. So that's that we talked about that earlier. But here's the thing I want us to see. I want to see the, what trips up Adam and Eve. Realize what trips up Adam and Eve. Did you, did you know today Satan has basically one weapon? There is really one weapon that Satan has today that he can use against us. Anybody know what that weapon is? What's his one weapon? He can lie to us. That's exactly what he does. He lies to Adam and Eve, and he wants to get Adam, and he wants to get Eve to doubt some things. And so Satan's greatest, when you think about it, his greatest and only weapon is to lie to us and, and to cause us to doubt. So look at the three things he says here. There's three things that he wants them to doubt. He says, did God actually say? And so he wants them to doubt what? He wants them to doubt he wants them to doubt God's word. It's the first thing. Did God actually say? He wants us to doubt God's word. And let's be honest, if we can't trust God's word, everything in our spiritual life is going to just fall apart. It's all based on the reality that God's word is true. So Satan starts there. And then he says, you will be like God. So what, is, what does he want them to doubt here? He wants them to doubt their identity in Christ or, or, or wants us to doubt our, our identity in Christ, but he wants them to doubt who they are in God. He wants them to, to not realize that they're already like God. They're already as much like God as they could ever be. And you and I, we're not going to get any more Jesus. We're as much like Jesus, as much like God as we will ever be. Do we have to grow in it and develop it as we go through this walk of faith? Certainly. But God has poured himself into us. And Satan wants us to doubt who we really are in Christ. And then finally he says, oh, he wants us to doubt our identity. And finally he says this, your eyes will be opened. He wants us to doubt our heart, our desires, our very life. Is there something, ask yourself this question, is there something Adam and Eve need to see or want to see that they can't see? No. Their eyesight is perfect. There's nothing they're missing out on. By the end of this, their eyes are going to be open to a new reality, and that's not going to be a good reality. But just, just note there that in their heart, their desires, who they were, everything was perfect. There was nothing they were missing out on, but Satan wants them to doubt that and think, no, you can't trust what's in here. You've got to listen to these voices out here. And that's what gets us into trouble. And just realize this is Satan's theology, not God's. God is saying to us, hey, you have a new creation heart. I have equipped you to, to take this walk of faith and to, to live for my glory. And, and you have everything you need to bring me pleasure and joy. And uh, Satan comes along and says, uh, no, you don't. I, I wouldn't trust that. I wouldn't trust that. 
You can't trust that. I'm reminded when you think of Satan's greatest and only weapon is to lie to us. I'm reminded of 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And Why do I have like emphasized? Because the Bible does not say that Satan is a roaring lion. He says he's like a roaring lion. He just makes you think that he's more powerful than he is. He lies to you and makes you think you are weaker than you are. He lies to you and makes you think that you need to be afraid of him or that you want something you don't really want. He makes you think you want that forbidden fruit. No, I don't really want it. He lies to us about who we are in Christ, about trusting our heart, about where our real struggle is. And our real struggle is not with who we are. Our real struggle is up here in how we think. And the bad habits we have and the lies that we're fed. And he lies to us and tells us that God doesn't love us. That we can make it on our own. That we don't really matter. All the lies, all the doubts that he pours into our life. And the reality is God wants us to see with our heart the truth about all of those realities. We'll get there in a minute. But notice Eve's response here. So how does Eve respond to this? And uh, here's what it says. I don't know if I put it on the screen, but it says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she ate. Notice that the woman saw something. Notice what Satan does here is that Satan gets Eve to look with her physical eyes over the spiritual eyes of her heart. And Paul told us what we walk by what faith, not by sight. We don't walk by what we see physically, but by what we see spiritually. We need to see some things spiritually with our heart to know our potential in Christ. But here is, here is Satan, and, and she's seen with her physical eyes, over her spiritual eyes. And, and notice, the tree was desired to make one wise. This is not a spiritual desire in her heart. This is a physical desire from what she sees with her eyes. This isn't from the person that God has made her to be. So we take that and we go back to Ephesians chapter 3, right? So we look at, at, at her story and, and what unraveled there in the Garden of Eden. We go back to Ephesians 3 and we go back to Paul's prayer and, and Paul is, is going to talk to us. What does Paul pray and what does God want in here is that God wants us to see some things with our new creation hearts. That's the reality. Again, the, the big idea here is our theology needs to shape our psychology, so what I believe about God and what I believe about, you know, God affects me. What I believe about what he did with my heart should affect how I live and how I see myself. One thing that can help us here when we think about trusting our heart is to understand there's a difference between our desires and our feelings. Sometimes we think they're the same thing. Sometimes we think we feel a certain way, that's a desire. No, feelings and desires can be two entirely different things. And sometimes I might feel a certain way, but that's not what my real desire is. And so we need to understand that. The Bible says sin is fun for a season. So I feel like, oh, that'll be fun. And then I do it and I'm like, well, I didn't want to do that. That wasn't what I really wanted to do. That wasn't the desire of my heart. That was a temporary feeling that took me over. So there's a difference between our feelings and our desires. We need to understand the true desire of our heart versus the, the feelings that come from our flesh and from our uh, bad habits and from the voices of this world. Again, why is this so important? Why is this so important to understand? Because our theology needs to shape our psyche. Ecology because we don't need more behavior modification. We need Christ. It is Christ in me. 
So here's what, here's what he says. Let's go back here again. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us to believe. Three things that God wants us to see, and, and here they are for us. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, um, we would see the hope to which he has called you. And what is the hope to which he has called you? Well, that would be Christ in me. That would be Christ in me. To see Christ in me. I mean, okay, we can look at hope and, well, look at this verse here. Here's a great verse. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we think of our hope, we think of heaven, right? My, my hope is heaven one day. And that's true, but what makes heaven so hopeful is that Christ is there. And so the, my ultimate hope is Christ. And that's why Paul can say, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Yes, my hope is in a future reality, but my hope is also right here because Christ is right here. And I need to see with my eyes and I need to have hope in this world today because sometimes I may not feel very hopeful. Sometimes I may feel like God has left me and he tells us in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I might feel like God has deserted me. I might feel like God has abandoned me. I might feel like God doesn't really love me. I might see some things that I don't understand. I might see some things that don't make me very hopeful, but the reality is what? I'm seeing with the eyes of my heart. I'm seeing the hope that I have in Christ and and that hope is right here, right now, in the present. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Second thing he wants us to see, having your, the eyes of your hearts enlightened, is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I love this one. And, and this is not speaking and saying that we are like his inheritance, like, like God is going to claim us as his inheritance. Now, some interpret it that way, and that could be a parallel truth here. But most commentaries believe that what it is is that we are, we are our inheritance. Does that make sense? What it is is one day we're going to die and go to heaven, right? And my inheritance is Christ. He's up there. Other scriptures tell us Christ. We inherit Christ for eternity in heaven and that's our inheritance. But then we also inherit the body, the church, right? The family, all of us that are in heaven together. You're all my inheritance. How cool is that? And do you understand the reality that's going on here is that yes, Christ is my future inheritance, but he's right here right now. And you are my future inheritance, right? And yet I need to see you right here, right now. Right here, right now, you are my present reality. How incredible, how incredible is that? I need to see myself. I need to see and find my place in the grander church and in the larger body. God never intended for us to live in isolation. Just, just need to know that. Just need to understand that. When I look with my physical eyes and Satan tries to get me to doubt, I might feel like I'm all alone. I might feel like there's nobody that relates to what I'm going through. Nobody can understand me. I might feel like I need to put on that mask, right? I need to hide, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Yet if I look with the eyes of my heart, I should be able to see you and I should be able to find my place in the body and I should be able to be encouraged. Fascinating article here. According to Internet market research firm YouGov, the social media generation is the one that feels the most alone. 
Their latest report details a surge in feelings of loneliness among the millennial generation, currently between the ages of 23 and 38. In their latest poll, 30% of millennials reported feeling lonely either always or often, compared to 20% of their boomer counterparts. Given that loneliness, watch this, trends to trend upward as people increase in age, such an uptick among younger adults is concerning. Researchers are also interested in the question of how internet accessibility factors into the equation. Millennials are the most likely to be frequently online, so it's possible that consistent social media usage on personal devices could be contributing to feelings of loneliness. No matter the cause, it seems that loneliness can have adverse effects on our health. It's correlated with higher blood pressure and more heart disease and increased uh, risk of death by 26%. Nevertheless, researchers were quick to point out that it's not all bad news. Small doses of loneliness can help. Psychologist Mike uh, Mike Lumen said, as long as, as we then do what we should do, reconnect with people, then loneliness is a good thing. It becomes a bad thing when it becomes chronic. That's when the health uh, effects kick in and it becomes harder and harder to connect with other people the longer you are in the state of loneliness. Think a a moment again. I mentioned this kind of last week, the significance of the church. What does God do when he saves us? He didn't have to do this, but he puts us into a church family. The Bible says he died for us as individuals, but he died for the church. And when you're saved, you're immediately put into his family. There is nobody that is born again in Christ that does not have a family. You might not have an earthly family, but you you can have a spiritual family. And you can connect with one. And that that is just so incredibly powerful. As we said last week, we need our our spiritual family to help us grow and mature so that we can what? We can walk by faith in this world and see with the eyes of our heart. What's fascinating about that article to me, right, is that here's the the millennials and they're extremely lonely. And the, the point, if you didn't catch it, is that usually, okay, you got about almost 30% of millennials feel lonely, And about, I don't know, what, 20% of of older people? Actually, older people are the ones that normally feel more lonely. It should be flipped around. As as you get older, you tend to feel more lonely and and isolated. But the reality, what's fascinating is, you know what other, other statistic they have about millennials today? What have they done? They have left what? They have left the church. They've left the church. And they're lonely. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. He says the immeasurable immeasurable greatness of his power. He wants us to see his power in my life. He wants me to see his power in my life. And we are all more powerful than we think. We are all more incredibly powerful. The power that raised Christ from the dead is in me. The power of Christ, the, the power that raised Christ from the dead has raised me from the dead. And it's given me this brand new heart. So do you get it? God wants us to see our relationships with Him, our relationships with each other, our, our relationships with the world. He wants us to see all of those things through the eyes of our heart. And we have a heart that is clean. We can see clearly and accurately through our heart. We can see those realities. So that's the, the first thing. Paul tells us, you can trust your heart because God wants you to see with your heart and he wants you to see him and each other 
and your circumstances in this world through your heart, and he wants you to have an accurate assessment of those things. Okay, look at this here, okay? Um, here's a, the second thing, First Peter 3, 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be the external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, what we have here, here here's the, the second point, simply this, okay? Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. God wants others to see you or see us through our heart. God wants me to see with my heart. He wants others to see us through our heart when they look at us. God says, when people look at you, I want them to see you through the lens of your heart, the hidden person of the heart, and through a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, what does that say about our heart? If God wants people to actually look at me and see me through my heart, I don't have to hide my heart. I don't have to be ashamed of my heart. In fact, probably my heart is supposed to dictate how I behave. Now, what we have in this passage is a specific teaching, an illustration, and that at its core can teach us something about our heart. The context is simple. It's about women. It's about wives submitting to their husbands. We're not going to get into that too deeply here. We'll touch on it briefly, but it's about wives submitting to their husbands and about husbands at the same time living with their wives in an understanding way. But at the heart of all this, we see something about the condition of our heart. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. Um, that's an extra slide in there. Women, adorn yourself with the beauty in your heart. Women, adorn yourselves with the hidden beauty of your heart. Women are the ones who adorn themselves, right? Most of us men, we don't care too much about adorning ourselves. But women, you know, you put on the, the makeup and you put on the perfume and you put on the jewelry and, you, and, and you know, you like to dress up and, you know, you know, we hope our socks match. Guys, we hope our socks match. Uh, we're not as much into that. But, but I just love what it says here. Adorn yourselves with the hidden beauty of your heart along with a gentle and quiet spirit. And then we just think about how the New Testament again describes our heart. We looked at some of this last week, but here's some descriptions. Uh, a pure heart, a true heart, a sincere heart. Our heart is filled with light. It's an obedient heart. It's a tender and compassionate and generous heart. It's an open heart. Our heart is God's temple. His Holy Spirit lives there. Our heart is filled with God's love. It is a peaceful, forgiving, thankful, and clean heart. That is how God describes the heart of somebody who is a new creation in Christ. And, and so he says, woman, when people look at you, well, that's what they should see. That's what they should see. And again, understand this transcends mere behavior. This goes back again to who we are. Who has God made us to be at our very heart? At our very heart. Now, the thing is, this is not just applicable to women because us men don't get off the hook either because we could summarize it this way. Men and women be seen and known by what is in your heart. All of us in the room be seen and known by what 
God has put in your heart. And if that's contrary to what you've always been taught, well, we're, we're seeing exactly where this comes from Scripture. The reality is we do not have to hide what's in our heart. What's in our heart is actually quite attractive. What is in our, what is in our heart actually looks like Christ. We have the heart of Christ. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwells our heart. It is, it is the holy of holies. And this goes back to what Paul talked about a few weeks ago, right? Wearing those new creation clothes. Wear new creation clothes that match your heart. Now the problem is sometimes we simply wear what we feel like wearing. Don't always trust your feelings. Trust your heart. Sometimes we wear things that we think we want to wear, and we talked about this throughout the series, and again, we find out, yeah, I didn't really want to wear that. That didn't look good on me. That's not my new creation clothes. The point is, at times our behavior does not look like the hidden person of the heart. Sometimes our anger and our depression and our selfishness and our pride does not reflect what's in our heart. So we need to understand that. Now, I don't have time again to get into this whole issue of submission here, but let me give you a couple things here. Uh, Wives, submit to your husband from your new creation heart. Okay, wives, submit to your husband from your new creation heart. And let me just tell you this, that what you have to understand is, and, and, and this is not a popular word in the world today, and people balk at this and think, I'm supposed to submit to my husband. Oh, Well, let me just tell you that God has put it in your heart. You want to submit to him. I'll show you why in a minute why God has you submit to your husband because here's the other side of the coin. Husbands, understand your wife from your new creation heart. And sometimes us as men, we're like, I can't understand my wife. She doesn't talk clearly. I I can't figure her out. She's hard to... It's like, hey, you know what? Understand your wife from your new creation heart. And you know what? You want to understand her and you want to be patient with her and understand her in that way, God has put those desires in your heart. Let me show you a couple quick things here. Go back again to the Garden of Eden, right? There's that tree in the Garden of Eden, right? There's that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God told them to avoid that tree. Genesis 3, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But here's the, here's the question, okay? So why should Eve avoid this tree? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Why should they avoid that tree? What? So they can live. If they eat, they're going to die. Okay, that's true. You know, there's 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 a higher reason why they should avoid that tree. You know why they should avoid that tree? Because dad said so. Because dad said so. You know what that tree represents in the Garden of Eden? It represents authority. That's the beauty of this tree. We think of all the, why God put it there and the, the free will and the choice. What that tree represents is that there is someone who is in authority over Adam and Eve saying, these are the rules. And if you follow these rules, things will be great. And what happened when Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command and even greater his authority? Look at the societal breakdown. That is gone throughout history and affected everybody and yes it did result in death you know if we struggle with this issue of submission think about this you know what here's the reality about submission there's a another person who submitted jesus submitted to the father and in the process we saw last week he learned obedience which resulted in the outworking of the gospel jesus repeatedly says i'm under my father's authority 
Isn't that wild? The one who created it all came to earth and learned to be obedient by submitting to his father and living under his authority. See, the reality is God has an an authority structure in the scriptures. Jesus submits to the Father. The Holy Spirit submits to Jesus. Men and women submit to God. Uh, Women submit to their husbands. Children submit to their parents. It all begins with a tree in the garden when God said, there is a greater authority. If you follow this authority structure, society will be great. Now, at the same time, we keep talking men are, women are called to submit, but men are called to love and understand as well. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Yes, there's this tree in the Garden of Eden. There's this tree of authority. There's another tree. There's a tree on Mount Calvary, a tree of sacrificial love. And God says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. In fact, understand them. You know, when Christ went to the cross, he loved us and he understood us. He he took the the light of the world, went into the darkness, took on our shame and our guilt and our brokenness and our emptiness and our loneliness and our filthiness and our wickedness and our hopelessness. Took it all on himself, bore it all in his body on that tree. He understands what it feels like. And we're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church And uh, understand them. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Here's the reality. Women are called to submit. Men are called to love. But you know, God just singles those out in unique fashion because here's the, 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 the deal. In a woman's heart of hearts, the way they're wired, their deepest need is to be loved. And so God says, man, I want you to focus on loving your wife. And at the same time, men in their heart of hearts, the way they're wired is simply they want to be respected. And so he says, live under authority of your husband and respect him. And uh, look, look what it says here in Ephesians 5.18. But be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, we, we're supposed to submit to each other. Husbands, yes, yeah, submit to your wife. Wives, love your husband, understand your husband. Those go both ways. But he singles these things out, and yes, there's an authority structure, and there is some significance to all of that. And it will, our world will be a far better place if we just could follow what God has put in the Scriptures. Ephesians 5.33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Those are the unique ways we're wired, and God just says, meet those deepest needs in your spouse and you'll have a much better marriage. Wow. So God says in your heart, I have put the ability for you to both submit to one another and for you to love and understand one another. So God wants us to see with our heart, and God wants others to see us through our heart. Because we don't have a dirty, corrupt, wicked, evil, untrustworthy heart. We have the heart of Christ. We need to know that. Why does all this matter? That's the big question. So why does this all matter? Let me give you a quick, couple quick reasons here. I think there's five here. I can trust my heart to build a great marriage. Do you know that? You can trust your heart to build a great marriage. Did you know that you, that if you are in Christ and your spouse is in Christ, that you, you know what? You have the same heart. You do. You have different personalities and you have different interests and you have different gifts and talents and you've been through different life experiences, but the reality is you have the same hearts that beats with the same desires and you want the same thing for your marriage you know that you both want the same thing for your marriage 
and when we get into fighting, you know, in our marriages and all that stuff, it's because it's the outside voices. It, it's the flesh. It's our, it's our, it's our bad habits. It's, it's the old man thinking. And in our heart of hearts, we just need to know that we want the exact same thing. We need to know that. Our theology needs to shape our psychology. That's the reality. How I see God needs to affect how I see you and how I see us. That's the reality. I can trust my heart to bring unity to my church. Think about that today. We're all here today, right? Again, we all have different personalities here and we're, 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 we all have different life experiences and different abilities and gifts and interests and passions. There's all these things that are different, but you know, we all share a few things in common today. We all have the Holy Spirit. We all have the mind of Christ and we all have the heart of God. We all want the same thing. We want the same thing for our church. We want the same thing for this lost world. It's true, we may not agree on every point of theology. We may not all raise our kids the exact same way. We may not make all the same choices in life, but we all share the same obedient heart. We want the same thing. And our theology needs to shape our psychology and how I see God affects how I see you and how I affect how I see us. I can trust my heart to help me pick out my new creation clothes. I can do that. So don't, don't wear what you f- always feel like wearing and don't always wear what you think you want to wear, but, but consult your heart. Say, okay, what do I really want to wear? And if you do that, you will, boy, I'll tell you, can you imagine if you went around and people, people defined you and said, now there is somebody. If I could define them with one word, man, love. They have, they have a love that I just can't describe. Or they have a peace or they have a joy or whatever it might be. I can trust my heart to know God's will. We struggle sometimes to know God's will, right? We think, oh, how can I know what God wants for me? How can I know God's will for my life? And it's such a struggle and we wrestle with it. And what if knowing God's will is simply as, is, is as simple as walking by faith and letting the Holy Spirit lead us, letting the Holy Spirit bear witness with our spirit, and as we just walk by faith through this world. You know that one verse said, Ephesians 2.10, that we are created for good works, that we would just walk in them. That's the reality, that we should just, just live our life in harmony with Christ, and we'll fulfill His will. He'll just lead us right into it every day, over and over and over again. Don't be led around by our feelings, but we can trust our new creation heart. I can trust my heart to recognize the truth. The reality is when Satan comes and lies to me, and he will lie to me, God has equipped me with a heart that can know the truth, that can, under, that can depict the truth, that can say, yeah, that's not true. God does love me. No, that's tr- not true. God has not abandoned me. And I have a I can trust my heart to recognize the truth when the enemy tries to lie to me and tries to get me to doubt and tries to get me to doubt God's word or my identity or, yes, my heart. And finally, I can trust my heart to experience deep joy and peace as I just simply take that walk of faith, as I just take that walk of faith and I just lift up eh, step by step and sometimes I'm a little off balance and sometimes it's a little scary, but you know what, I just trust I walk by faith and I trust the hope of Christ who is in my heart. I hope that this is making sense and this is, this is getting through to you in some ways. It was back in September. It was the second um, 
like the second week of this series. And I am standing in the line at the post office, right? And there's two people in front of me. One's at the counter getting checked out, and somebody else is there. And the person at the counter has about, you know, a hundred of these vanilla envelopes, and they got to be weighed and stamped. And, and so I'm waiting in line, and I, I need to buy three stamps and mail three little letters. And I'm like, can't they call somebody else up to the counter? I'm kind of frustrated. I'm kind of annoyed, you know, you know how it is. And, um, and then I'm thinking, can't they have like a little kiosk or a machine I can put my money in and buy three stamps and mail them? And I'm really frustrated and I'm really annoyed until all of a sudden a voice from inside of me said, you know what, Bill? You're not frustrated. You're not annoyed. And I stop for a minute and I'm like, yeah, I'm not. And I, I've, I've literally felt this huge weight just lift off of me. And I thought, you know, if Christ had been there, if Jesus had been there, he probably would have had a silent talk with the Father. Or he would have turned around to the person behind them in line and had a, heaven, a talk about heavenly mail or something, you know, and eternal life and how God sends us letters. And he would have had some great spiritual profound conversation. And I thought, here I am in this moment. So what if I wait five minutes? I'm not frustrated. And I stood there calmly. And then the next day I ran into some encounter where I was frustrated. <laughs> you know, it's like, but we had to talk to ourselves and tell ourselves, you know what? Yeah, that's not me. That's not who I am in Christ. That's not what I want. Those aren't new creation clothes. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I just have been thrilled myself personally, and, and uh, maybe that's selfish, but these last several weeks looking at the heart Discovering who I am at the very core of who I am is so awesome. Knowing that you have equipped me to do what you've called me to do. You don't call me to do one thing and then and yet I'm something else contrary to that and it's like my life is a constant battle. No, I can live in peace because as you say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest because what do you do? You tell us, hey, I, I've equipped you to do this thing. I've equipped you to walk by faith. I've equipped you to step by step, maybe a little off balance sometimes, but to walk by faith and to put your faith and your hope and your trust in me. Thank you for today's good word. Thank you for your love for us. This week, Lord, when the, when the devil tries to lie to us and cause us to doubt, may we hear the truth.